When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome to the second episode of our Her Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast. Uh, If this is the first time you're joining us, this is the more lo-fi edition of our podcast where we're just talking about women's hoops. And then we also have our regular scheduled Monday podcast still going on with John Little, where we're talking to some of the biggest names in women's basketball. I'm here today again with Aaron Barzilai, um, whose name I accidentally mispronounced last week, but we've got it right this time. So, yeah. hey, How Aaron. are you doing? No problem. Uh, that, uh, you were pretty close last time, and I would say that my name has been mispronounced so many different ways. Uh, you might guess, but uh, what's the most interesting mispronunciation you ever get of Gower? Uh, I think, I don't know. I feel like it's either people either nail it or it's just like you don't even recognize what they're saying. It's like, <laughs> like there's like the three vowels in the middle there. And people just don't know what to do with them sometimes. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. my uh, high school basketball coach, I think it was freshman year, used to call me Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of one of the more uh, interesting ones. But hey, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am okay. I'm fired up to talk about uh, women's hoops today. I uh, tore myself away from the Ocho. Uh, <laughs> are you? Do you even know what I mean when I say that? I saw it was something with ESPN putt putt type tournament, but yeah, I haven't really been. Oh, it's more it. than that. Do you know oh, the okay. reference? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Dodgeball, uh, uh, classic okay. Ben's. It's a, I think it's Ben Stiller, oh, Vince Vaughn movie. Uh, and in the movie, they were pretending like the Dodgeball tournament was on ESPN eight, which was you know hilarious at the time, and. Uh, you know, it's to the point where ESPN decided to run with them. So I guess they uh, ran uh, a whole day, really, of events that would be on a hypothetical 
uh, ESPN eight. So watched a little bit of, um, the world sign spinning championships were, which oh. coincidentally enough were right down the street from my hotel when I was in Vegas for the all-star game. Uh, apparently though they taped it in January. That was interesting. And, uh, also they showed one of those slippery stairs, uh, episodes. Have you ever seen those on YouTube? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. I guess it's a popular show in Japan. So this was the first time they'd ever done it in the U.S. So all kinds of crazy stuff. You will be happy to know, though, that the world championship of the uh, sign spinning, uh, the, the world champion of the sign spinning only earned $5,000 for winning this year. So at least the That's WNBA good. players are earning a little more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a little sad when you see things like that or like video game tournaments and then they're getting more than a professional basketball yeah. player. Yeah. yeah. It's on a more serious note. We're taping this here. I've got in the background, I don't know that I mentioned this to you, but I will be paying attention while we're talking, <laughs> but it's the very end of the, um, what is it? Sky Liberty game. Two oh, point nice. game, three minutes left. So who's uh, up I will... by two? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, the sky are winning we will not do a play-by-play like john did uh over the weekend uh obviously uh, that was pretty cool uh little experiment that we did here uh, on the podcast and uh i thought it turned out really well i don't know if you had a chance to listen yet but um but yeah we're always trying new things so definitely let us know what you think uh uh if you're listening today and uh, yeah we'll see what we can do hopefully you'll find this uh it to be an interesting episode as well awesome Well, speaking of the W, um, the trade deadline was last night. I think it was like 8 p.m. yesterday. We didn't see too much movement. It was just uh, one trade. Um, The Connecticut Sun sent their rookie, Christina Nigue, from Cal with the the ninth pick in the 2019 draft to Dallas. And then in return, Dallas sent back Teresa Plaisance, I think think i'm saying that right i might not be i think Um, you are too okay (laughs) so the sun acquired her so just that movement in the um, wmba with the trade deadline yesterday so you have any initial thoughts on that trade yeah i thought it was interesting first i want to point out the deadline was 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific we do not have an east coast bias uh (laughs) at her hoop stats uh but yeah you know i mean at some level I thought, you know, that's really not that exciting in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'm particularly interested to hear your thoughts as a Connecticut Sun fan. But then I did look back, and, you know, the reality is for the past few years, there haven't really been any blockbuster trades at the trade deadline. I'm not really sure why the dynamics of that are in the WNBA. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was not, I was underwhelmed by the trade. I thought it was a good trade for the wings. I don't know if you saw that poll that we put out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a number of votes for that, and it was actually split 50-50. Um, I came down more on the wing side because uh, I think Inigwe, you know, has the potential to be quite good. I was dreaming about, you know, what would it look like, right, if they got like ENS next year? Yeah. And so, the, you know, uh, and obviously Gustafson, uh, you know, isn't setting the league on fire or anything, right? But if they had Arike, Sabrina, Gustafson, uh, Wait, who am I missing? Uh, did I say anything? Way that you know, the four of them like that's a pretty good young core. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot to learn, a lot to develop, but um, definitely, I thought it was a smart move for Dallas uh, for the future. What did you think on the Connecticut side? Did you think that they actually won the trade, or do you think it was win-win? Um, I do think Dallas got the bigger upside of it, but from Connecticut's perspective, I feel like even with the trade of Shanae, they still had just like too much depth at that you know kind of post position. They still have so many players that can come off the bench. Um, so I was 
surprised on draft night when they drafted Onikwe to begin with, and that was before the Shanae trade, so it made a little bit more sense when that came out. But I still think they're just too deep there, and um, Onikwe is just like such a talent at that position that she wasn't going to get the minutes in Connecticut where they yeah. already, already have, you know, John Cole Jones and Alyssa Thomas that can kind of play up there in the front court really well. And then you have Morgan Tuck on the bench, uh, Brianna Jones on the bench, quite a bit of depth on the bench as well at that position. So, and that was my question, right? Plaisance, um, you know, so she's like been starting a bit for um, the wings, but like how many minutes do you think she's really going to get for Connecticut? Like I'm all about the idea of making a push when you're in that upper echelon <laughs> or chance to win the championship. But I, it wasn't clear to me that she's going to have a tremendous impact on the Suns' chances. Yeah, I don't know how much time she will or will not get. It will be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I do think that the trade with, on the Suns' side was probably made that with that in, the championship in mind, right? That they're you know sitting at the top of the league, standing still. On I think it's a seven-game win streak right now. Um, so they're definitely thinking <laughs> about like could they win a championship this year and what they need to do to put the pieces together to get there. So, Yeah, but do you really think it moves the needle for this year? Um, I don't know. I guess they have the – she's a um, – Playsons is a little bit more experienced player versus having like a rookie in the uh, playoff setting. But, again, I don't know how much difference it's really going to make if you don't get that many minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe she'll do that thing where – you know, she acclimates during the regular season and has like kind of a clutch moment in the playoffs and it all pays off. Yeah, agreed. But I think in terms of Anikwe, she's a good fit for Dallas. Um, I'm pretty sure she led, not, I'm not looking at the stats, so don't quote me on it, but led the NCAA in like defensive rebounds and defensive she rebounding did. rate. She did. I yeah. was looking at the stats. Sorry, I was looking at the stats yesterday and uh, I tweeted out something about this. I believe she's number one in rebound defense total rebounds per game and defensive rebounds per game and like number two in offensive rebounds per game. She was helped a little bit by her minutes, but still was like top ten in defensive and offensive rebounding percentage. Okay, so yeah. Um yeah, it's a little early to judge her based on her WNBA career, but I think that um there certainly seems like there's potential there that she could be a real impact. Agreed, player. Definitely someone with potential to be a star in Dallas. So it'll be interesting to see how that works Yeah, you know, one thing I was struck by also um, was just how little coverage there really was. Like, how many trade grade articles did you see go through on Twitter? I was a little surprised. Yeah, not a lot. I guess part of it is that, like, it wasn't, like, a big, like, blockbuster trade. So that might have, like, if it was a bigger trade, I think you would have seen more. Um, I do wonder if like why we don't see those for the WNBA is just because the season is so much shorter, right? Because like in the NBA, you know, trade at midseason, there's still a lot more time left where now it's already August. Teams are already thinking, thinking about the playoffs and you don't have a lot of time to acclimate to a new team if you're traded right now. Um, yeah, maybe. And But I mean, even the NBA um, uh, trade deadline, like minor deals, you know, still someone writes it up. I saw the CBS trade deadline. I'm sure other people have written some uh, that uh, I haven't seen, but I didn't feel like my timeline was inundated with uh, analysis of the trade, which I thought was interesting. So, I mean, people, I think, were clearly mm-hmm. aware of it, but uh, nevertheless, it wasn't like it was dominant even in WNBA Twitter. So I do think part of that is probably because if there's not a culture of blockbuster trades every year, then, like, the world's not oriented towards writing those up because it's not that big a deal in general. Um, yeah. So 
you know, if Liz Cambage had gotten traded in midseason, you know, instead of during the offseason, obviously that would have been a much bigger yeah, story. Yeah, I agree. I think if you had kind of more of that culture of blockbuster trades at the midseason, you know, you'd have people glued to their Twitter timelines looking for the news where I don't think that was so much the case yesterday. Yeah. Was there any trade you thought might happen that um, didn't? Or? Not really. I mean, I saw a couple of rumors about possible trades with like the Liberty or maybe Jackie Young from the Aces, which I would have been pretty surprised by being they did use their number one pick on her but um, yeah. yeah I didn't really had nothing in mind that I was like really expecting to happen yeah definitely I, I agree yeah there wasn't anything that like felt like was being talked about a ton or seemed like a natural kind of thing and so you know it'll be interesting you know the sun the aces and the mystics all seem content to uh, play it out and uh, you know let the chips fall where they may I guess Agreed. And that kind of makes a nice segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is our uh, WNBA power rankings. So for those of you listening that haven't been following along with our articles over on Medium, um, every week we've been on Tuesdays, we've been putting out WNBA power rankings, um, kind of ranking all the teams in the league based off a couple of factors, their record in the league, their offensive rating, defensive rating, and starting this week, we also have analysis on each team in the article as they're making that final playoff push in the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. So this week, and they've been there for a couple weeks in a row now, I believe the Connecticut Sun are on top, just like they are in the league standings. Um, and then we've got the Washington Mystics second and the Las Vegas Aces in third kind of seems like those three teams have really separated themselves as the top three. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. It seemed like they had earlier in the season, but now like I'm not so sure. Right. I mean, the standings are amazingly right. close. Um, I think it's what the sparks are in the fourth place and only in the third. Yeah. I do think the sparks are like, I, before it was like these three teams, I do feel like now, especially in the last couple of weeks, I feel like the Sparks, I don't know if they're quite in that group yet, but if they aren't, they're definitely on their way. Um, and I mean, I think part of that is right. We just saw a healthy Sparks team. Well, actually, we still haven't really seen a fully healthy Sparks team because Candace Parker is back, but Shanae Gubinke has been out the two games that Candace Parker played. So we haven't seen, you know, kind of all of those like, and then you have Neka Gumake too, so you haven't seen their like three front court superstars on the court together. Um, but they've definitely made an uptick, especially with Candace Parker being back. So I think if you get uh, Parker plus the two Gumakes, that they probably are well on their way to being part of that. Yeah, top I mean, I do tier. think as much as I love uh, the sky, you know, they did have three all stars uh, to the Sparks too. You just have the feeling that, you know, if the Sparks really are all healthy, that they should be a, a better team and have that sort of fourth spot in the semifinals. Is that uh, what you think as well? Yeah. I mean, I think if you get the Sparks fully healthy, like they're a title contender, not, not just like thinking about the semifinals, but in general, I mean, that's probably more like superstars on the court than any other team in the league. You've got, three of the biggest names in the front court. Then you've got Chelsea Gray as point guard too. So they definitely have all the pieces to be contending for a title run this year. If they can get it all healthy and on the court together and chemistry worked out by the time playoffs start, there's no reason they can't be making a title run. Yeah. You know, one thing that we're still working on and, and don't have yet is 
to have some uh, really WNBA ratings that go beyond things like net ratings or the margin of victory per possession. And one thing that's quite clear is that you really do need to factor in between uh, the international play and the injuries, just who's been on the floor for these different games, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the line, the record stands up. The margin of victory, I think, is actually sometimes even more important than the record. But, you know, I think my takeaway, even though the Mystics, uh, I'm pretty high on the Mystics. I think a lot of people, or at least people that live in Connecticut, if you know what I mean, <laughs> uh, might be underestimating them. But, uh, you know, they do have a really good margin of victory, best in the league by far. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it seems like it's really close, right? There's not kind of one team with a chance. It feels like when you get to the the final four of the WNBA, any of those teams really could win it. I mean, you know, maybe you think in a, you know, hypothetical Mystics Aces series, you know, someone might think the Mystics have a 55% chance of winning that. Uh, someone else might think that the Aces have a 55% chance of winning that. But I don't think anyone thinks it's going to be a, you know, lopsided affair uh, for any kind of combination, particularly of those top three. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I would throw the Sparks into there, too. It's probably the top four. I do think that they will be, if they keep their superstars healthy, they will be in that group as well. Um, but yeah, you kind of alluded to you think that I am undervaluing the Mystics, which I think... Well, you know, it, it caught my eye in the uh, power rankings because you were saying you might even have the Aces ahead of them after the... Uh, uh, if, if, I guess, maybe Wilson hadn't been injured. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see what's going on with Cambage because since she sat out the last two games, I think, and the second one in particular seemed like a surprise. So uh, I'll be curious. I was looking. Washington is currently one and two uh, against Connecticut and two and one against the Aces. I think that means they played all their games against both of them. So meanwhile, the Aces and uh, Sun play on Sunday on uh, ESPN. I was looking up. That's on our one of our games to watch, another article I would encourage folks to uh, to read if they uh, aren't keeping up with that. And so, you know, that, that's definitely going to be a game which is going to, uh, you know, tell us a little something. Again, I don't like to overvalue any mm-hmm. one particular game, even a head-to-head thing. And, uh, you know, we've got some ideas around that. But nevertheless, I think it's great. National game, ESPN2, Sunday, 6 Eastern. So I hope folks will tune in. Definitely. Yeah, those head-to-heads are interesting, right? Because I think definitely at least one, if not two of the Connecticut ones, Washington was without uh, Deladon. So like, you can take that for what it's worth. And then on the Aces one, I mean, this earthquake game that they just made up last, or I think it was Monday night, They the Aces played without Asia Wilson and without Liz Kimbage. So again, you can take that for what it's yeah, worth. Yeah, but that when they were, was, wasn't Washington blowing them out in Las Vegas before the earthquake? So Yeah, I guess so I, they were up like 15 after the first half. And then it yeah, was like 51 36, yeah. I want to say. So yeah. um, obviously, I, I was looking at some of the stats and uh, they were definitely uh, on fire in that first half. And wasn't really, you wouldn't have thought it would have been sustainable um, if they were had been able to finish the game live but uh or you know in the normal course of a of an evening but uh nevertheless i do think that counts for something that they, i don't want to discount you can discount the second half that they made up mm-hmm. but i don't think we should discount the first half agreed um but i did think it was interesting though it was i think last week that washington played at phoenix and lost by like 20 it was 20 or maybe even more than 20 points which was just like completely unexpected i think um so that was part of why i kind of mentioned that i might have had the aces above them because that loss was one 
uncharacteristic, but also just the Phoenix is not doing great this year for, I mean, they're very shorthanded, but to. Yeah, they're, they're a, I guess, a game over 500 at 11 and 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really uh, kind of remarkable. I was thinking about that. Like, how good would, you know, so the Storm actually are 12 and 11, right? Mm-hmm. So they're basically tied. I was thinking about, like, how good would the Storm be if, you know, they were fully healthy? Yeah, I think we would be pretty much talking about them as the favorites to repeat if you had Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird without a doubt I mean just having the difference of having Brianna Stewart versus not having Brianna Stewart is crazy so to think about but yeah they've been great even without those two pieces so I can only imagine they'd probably just be on their own level if they had the full yeah, roster remarkable. yeah remarkable what they're doing I think so yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, right? I think that the standings have tightened. I mean, there's clearly separation, I think, between the playoff teams and the non-playoff teams, right? I guess the yeah. Liberty, well, they lost, I believe they lost tonight now, officially. So they uh, have 14 losses. So they're three back in the loss column to the Storm, if I'm doing my math right, live here. Uh, oh, and links. So, you know, you don't want to call it or anything, but you know, there's clear, you know, it's going to take quite a run by one of those teams that's out of the playoffs now to make the playoffs. Otherwise, I think, you know, our top eight are getting close to set. And so then it's really just a question, you know, especially in those one game playoffs of who happens to be hot that one night. Yeah, agreed. I think all season long, we've kind of seen this like bottom four teams has stayed pretty consistent with the fever of the wings, the Liberty, and then I don't know what on earth is going on in Atlanta, but that this has been consistently on they've been consistently on the bottom all season long um but yeah I think you are you can't call it yet but seeing some pretty clear idea of what you're going to be looking at as far as the playoff field definitely but it's good right the parody is exciting Mm -hmm. uh you know I think it is probably good for the league that people are uh you know, feeling like they have a chance and that sort of anyone can go on a run, right. you know, at some level, if, uh, you know, especially let's just say that the sky finish in fifth or something. Right. But then are able to, you know, make a little, you know, they could definitely make a run, you know, if they advance, uh, you know, hypothetically, even all the way to the finals. Um, obviously that would take them kind of playing at a little bit more sustained level than uh, they have at the past or a little higher level on a sustained basis. Right. But Quigley hits a bunch of shots mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, and diamond, the shields, um, you know, goes on a hot streak. There's no question they could beat anyone in the league. Agreed. Agreed. I will be surprised if this guy stay in fifth though. They've got uh, quite the schedule ahead of them as the season winds down. I think seven of their games before the season ends are against either Connecticut, Washington, Las Vegas or LA. So they've got a tough schedule ahead of them. Ooh, I did not know yeah. that. That is interesting. Yeah, it is pretty wild um, how, you know, we can be this far into the season, but because there's so few games, there can still be wide differences. That's actually a stat that I am working on calculating uh, on our side. So many things that I'm uh, working on on the WNBA side, but that's a stat I definitely want to make sure that we uh, kind of make a little bit more accessible remaining strength of schedule, both by record and by uh, average opponent margin of victory. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to look at. It's kind of crazy because the league is so small too, like how big of a difference it can make is in when you're playing people for where you're standing now versus where you're going to be standing come playoffs. 
Yeah. So anyhow, if the playoffs started today or, you know, just as of this moment, who do you think is the most likely matchup for the uh, the finals? I forget if we talked about this last I week or not. I don't think we did. So right now, I don't know. I think my life's most likely finals is Connecticut and L.A. I don't know if my Connecticut bias is paying into that or not, but um, I don't know. I just think the Sun are so good on both ends of the floor, which is something kind of unique to those top three teams. Uh, Washington is so good on offense, but their defense is in like the bottom kind of four of the league. So it's kind of like if their shots aren't falling, they're in trouble. And then um, the Aces, it's a lot of riding on kind of what's going on with their injuries right now. Um, but yeah, I think right now my finals is Connecticut and LA. Interesting. You think the sparks are going to surge past? Yeah, them? I think they will. If they can get all those players healthy on the floor with that as a core, there's no reason they can't be there. Hmm. What about you? What do you think? You know, I'm still kind of leaning mystics aces. Um, you know, I just think the mystics, you know, they have the MVP, uh, so far this season, mm-hmm. right, and Delgon, and they've got other talent too, right? And, um, you know, they've got support, can build on their experience from last year. I think it'll be interesting to see um, how, I forget, what was the Suns record last year? How did um, they do? I have to look it up. I know they didn't have the... Yeah, because the Aces were out of the playoffs, right? So... Uh, can't bring that up. <laughs> Great radio here. Yeah, but I don't think it was a particularly... Uh, and, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were. Oh no. I'm sorry. They were 21 and 13. So uh, that was pretty good. But nevertheless, yep. uh, um, they lost. The, yeah, they lost in the second round of the Mercury. That's right. So um, you know they have some experience, but I gotta believe that you know the Mystics making the finals last year is gonna help them too. So uh, I still believe. I still believe. But like I said, I think it's a crapshoot. I don't think anyone's really separated themselves, and I could definitely see any kind of combination you know not just of those three teams at the top like you said the sparks or even uh, a team below that agreed yeah i think if you have of any combination of those top four teams uh, like a five game series it's really anyone's guess who would come out on top i don't think there's a clear like favorite in any of those possible matchups so it will be interesting to see yeah it's gonna be a fun uh, rest of the season it'll be interesting also to see the jockeying uh, for playoff position. Oh, agreed. Yeah, those uh, double buys are very coveted. So the top league standings are very important. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's a bit about the W. I was particularly interested in the news today on the NCAA side about uh, the recommending that move to go to two regional locations. You and I were talking about this a little bit, <laughs> and you told me you had some takes. So I was really interested to hear kind of what your take is on that. Yeah, so in case anyone listening hadn't seen the news, the NCAA um, had a meeting today on the women's basketball side and recommended that for 2023, they were going to, I believe that was the year, they're going to look at moving the regional games of the NCAA tournament to two sites. So instead of having four regional sites for the Sweet 16 and an Elite Eight like we do currently, it would be just two sites with eight teams at each site. Is that right? Yeah, that's the right math. Okay. Um, so yeah, I have some thoughts on it. I think I think 
the way the NCAA worded it was that it was like great from a fan engagement and media and player experience and a whole bunch of other things that would improve. Um, so from the media side, like I 100% see like the advantage of that. You've got just two sites, so you're not spreading, you know, kind of the people that are covering it so far and wide. Like you can have, you just have two sites that you have to cover. Or if you are someone that's only sending like one person to cover it, they can be at one site and get double the games they would get at a single regional site. So, and then as far as your like broadcast teams go too, you can kind of. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I wonder how much money it's going to save ESPN. I'm not saying that's why it's the Mm -hmm. driver and that doesn't really affect my thoughts on it. But as you were talking about that, I mean, obviously it makes it easier for people like us to cover it, but in particular, it's got to really help uh, ESPN out. Yeah, agreed. Um, just being able to have, you know, kind of your top talent at either one or the other site or just having them have them travel between two sites versus trying to get people to four different sites is definitely an advantage. Um, but the thing for me that was interesting was like from a fan engagement side, I'm trying to I'm struggling with how it would be any better. Um I think you had alluded to in the tweet about it, how like it kind of relates to Debbie Antonelli's like Sweet 16 to Vegas idea where everyone's at one site, which in that world, like you can book your Sweet 16 tickets or your flights and everything, you know, long before the Sweet 16's announced because, you know, if you're going to go watch it, you all the teams are going to be there. From a fan perspective with the two sites, you're still kind of in this like, where is my team going to be? Which region are they going to be in? And then in the women's tournament, there's definitely like a somewhat of a geographical bias in the way that they do the seating. So if your team has one seed and like there's a region closer to you, it's likely that they'll be you know, slotted to that region. Whereas, so now you have a shorter travel with that, where now if there's only two sites, um, I guess I think it's going to be farther travel and you still don't know where people are going so it's kind of like this i think though i do wonder if it's going to help with the complaints is it um mississippi state this year right was unhappy that they had to go to portland i think right yeah and uh so i do think i mean that they they're very explicit i went to the um there was like a mock selection uh event last year uh, around this time i think they're doing another one now and uh they're you know they're very clear they like sort of seed all the teams and then they currently do like an allocation of the different locations and they'd absolutely want to try and reduce travel but they also have other constraints around like when teams can you know having a bunch of sec teams all in the same region playing too early so you know they're definitely going to try and balance that i think i mean i think there's i'm going back and forth on this i think two sites could work out really well i actually have gotten more and more excited about um the sweet 16 to vegas debbie i think has definitely uh convinced me although you and i were both in tampa and the one minor thing that i think about that and it relates to i've been to men's first and second round games you ever been to any men's uh opening weekend games uh in the ncaa tournament like i have with UConn? not they were actually in hartford this year there was games in hartford but the tickets were uh, quite pricey so I did yeah not yeah and go. then you've got the the phenomenon i went when they were in philly a few years ago watched uh florida gulf coast uh upset i think duke maybe and uh so but you do have the interesting phenomenon there and I felt like we saw this at the final four as well, that like the fans don't all show up for every game, right? Mm-hmm. Which surprised me a little bit. It's like a long day to be there in the arena for four sessions. And I would assume they would sell like 
a pair of games, a pair of games on the Thursday, Friday, and then you get to see both games on, uh, you know, the weekend mm-hmm. for the two, the two regional finals, I guess you would call them. I suppose they'd both still be regional finals yeah. and, uh, um, you know, for, a, for a ticket to the final four. And so the only concern I have that makes me just a little hesitant is I'm not convinced that the women's basketball community would fill the arena for both games, right? You would definitely have, like I thought, wasn't it like uh, the Notre Dame fan? Was it the Notre Dame fans or was it the UConn fans that were not in in the seats early at the Final Four this year because they played the late game? I forget how that worked out. Yeah, I don't, well, I think it was Notre Dame UConn was the late game, so yeah, it was probably a combination of both sets of fans. <laughs> right, both of them. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a problem to think about when like you're selling all these tickets. But if people are only coming to watch their team. Um, kind of end up with a lot of yeah that's the one the one kill the achilles heel of the plan i have of a sweet 16 of vegas or even just two but i'm still excited about i do have to believe that what that really will do is really kind of separate the teams geographically um yeah again if you're yukon if you're mississippi state if you're oregon and you knew that the sweet 16 was in vegas like you'd book book your tickets now Mm -hmm. and with two regions you're not going to be able to do that um so but at the same time i would be willing to bet that they're going to be able to be very good and you're not going to have many mississippi state to kind of seattle situations let's just say hypothetically i don't think they've announced their regions yeah i guess it just kind of depends sorry what those regional sites are so if you have them i guess hopefully they would be like one kind of centrally located on i don't know where the best spots would be really but hopefully you don't have to think in like seattle where it's like in the one upper corner of the country oh no come on <laughs> you live in, in connecticut that's fairly yeah, uh, upper corner yeah. not as much as boston but um yeah no i was thinking about it right i mean you could just do it all these in vegas but and like the pac-12 is very comfortable mm-hmm. with that approach right so why couldn't the whole ncaa be but um yeah why not i mean you could do it in la you could do it in san francisco you could do it in seattle san francisco by the way was a city we did not mention for the national team tour mm-hmm last week that I think is also a no-brainer. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason you can hit those major cities uh, up and down the West Coast, but then you don't want to be biased against other places that would love to host it, like Denver or Salt yeah. Lake. I think you could really do it anywhere. And um, I would be willing to bet that, uh, and, you know, and then on the East Coast, right, there's Atlanta, Charlotte, um, you know, it might be hard to do it in South Carolina proper, but Florida, right, all kinds of good options there, Tampa, yeah. Orlando. So, um, I think there's a lot of things like, I think, and if everybody knew right now that there's going to be one regional in Tampa in 2023, uh, and another site was going to be Los Angeles, like I bet the Oregon fans would book their tickets mm-hmm. now, or, you know, if it was assuming they had a similar team kind of heading yeah. into it. So I think it's still got some potential and I can definitely see a world where, um, going, I, I think it would help the people that are just random basketball junkies anywhere, um, go to the final the two i guess the sweet 16 okay. more easily okay i could see that i don't know i just feel like with the regional games right now at least you don't get so much of the population of the like random basketball fans like you do at like if there's like most people that are a basketball fan if there was a men's like regional game in your city you would be there but i don't feel like that culture has really transferred to the women's game no definitely not i noticed that and during this year's tournament that you know there were a lot of seats available i think chicago hosted Original right in uh, Windrust, right. where the sky play, and uh, yeah, there were you know, great seats still available. So um, I thought that was a little bit uh, unfortunate, especially with uh, my recollection could be wrong. Obviously, I wasn't in the building, but 
with Notre Dame, I think, playing there, right? Yeah, so, no, I do remember uh, that from watching it on TV, being like pretty surprised at the number of empty seats in Chicago, especially because Notre Dame was there. So you would expect that they kind of what their fans would have filled out the arena. Yeah, but I will say, right? I mean, I definitely have that sense for men's tournament as well, especially on the opening rounds, like I said. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on a Thursday of the men's opening round, uh, the you know, if your team is at the, the last game of the night in the session, very often, you know, you're not going to be there for the early game. Sure. So it's, you know, it's not just about mm -hmm. women's basketball, but I do think there is um, kind of opportunity and and it would be great to be able to fill more seats. I think, you know, ESPN gives the tournament great coverage and it would be great to, um, you know, really pack them in. I mean, obviously the Final Four experience is amazing, but uh, I don't have a, as good a sense about how amazing it feels for the players when they step on the floor during the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Right. Yeah, that is true. I think if it is concentrated, it allows you to kind of spend more time focusing on that fan experience and player environment experience as well similar to something like the final four yeah and i guess the other thing speaking about costs i wonder how much it would i think it probably would help the cost for the nca as well um you know i don't think they're really generating a profit off the women's game so women's mm -hmm. tournament so i think that you know that could be helpful for the uh, i mean there's a lot of issues with the nca as, as um there's news today on the uh, agent front but uh, at the same time, I mean, definitely you want to make sure that the women's tournament is in a sustainable path and not reliant on, you know, trickling down from football or men's basketball dollars. Agreed. Agreed. So that is a good point. I didn't think of it from that angle, but it is a good perspective. Yeah, well, it only just came to me now. So it's not <laughs> like I had mapped out that quick. Um, but yeah, no, it's exciting. And it's always exciting to... Uh, you know, hear about the uh, NCAA tournament, even uh, in the middle of the summer. I will say that it does feel a little bit like the dog days of summer, both um, as we're trying to do all our work here on Her Hoop Stats, but also just WNBA Twitter seems a little less uh, uh, excited, uh, to me at least, because everyone's going on yeah. vacation, right? Uh, including me, I'll be going on, you were on vacation, I'm going to be going on vacation soon. And uh, so... Uh, it's, it's exciting to think about the NCAA tournament coming up. The other thing, which I think got a little less attention, but I paid a lot of attention to, is that they're definitely going to be using the RPI next season. They're still kind of exploring using the net. And so obviously uh, with our Her Hoop Stats rating, I'm hoping we'll uh, kind of get in the mix there as uh, something that they're at least keeping an eye on more and more. And that college, the women's college basketball community keeps an eye on more and more. I know some teams do, especially the ones that tend to uh, look better by that metric. Uh, it really is interesting how the net was received on the men's side this year. I wonder how well they're going to be able to apply the lessons. Uh, you know, if I was on working for the NCAA, um, I would definitely be, um, you know, seeing the value of having the NCAA's metric as opposed to they own. I think that was a pretty compelling uh, story that they told about how they don't want to rely on, you know, the six metrics that are out there in the public, you know, the ESPN ones, Kempom, I think KPI, I forget the other ones. And uh, because ultimately, like, it's their thing, they need to know exactly how it works. Right. And they have responsibilities for that. And similarly, they, you know, made some conscious choices, which might help the game in general, but let your model be a little less... Um, predictive really say for gambling or whatever um, which i think is the ultimate uh, measure really of how well the model predicts thing and then it is really to me a fascinating 
thing to think about, like what is the right measure? You know, I don't really feel like there's one definitive answer, um, which is a little bit unfortunate, but kind of gives rise to debate around, you know, which, how teams are selected and seated, but, you know, really should you just be picking the 64 best teams that have, you know, short of the, or at least the at-large teams that have the highest chance of winning and should you be seeding them basically as Vegas would uh, going forward or is it, you know, do you want to be kind of more looking back? You know, I think that's a philosophical question at some level that is, uh, you know, not necessarily, does not necessarily have a right answer. I think you can argue both points and not be certain what's right. Um, You can definitely say, you know, do work and figure out this is the best model. If you go to Vegas and gamble on the games, you'll win the most money this way. But that doesn't mean that that's the ranking of the teams you'd want to use for seeding, selecting and seeding the tournament. Right. Yeah. I didn't follow too closely on the men's side this year, how like the network ranking was working. But um, yeah. Yeah. They do some interesting things like they basically like one notable thing, right. Is they made the conscious choice. They don't want to encourage teams to run up the score. And so they consider margin of victory, but only up to a point, I think maybe at 20 points, they uh, cap it. But you know, the, the data scientist in me says like, well, if you're winning by 35, that's different than winning by 21. And you like, you really, that doesn't mean that the team is better uh, if they can beat the same team by 35, not 21. So you're kind of throwing information away and making your, um, you know, like purely predictive model, not uh, as effective. But if you don't, then you're going to have, you know, be in the situation where UConn's incentive to really say run up the score even more. Uh, you know, not they're running up the score specifically, but you know, really push the margin of victories from some of the crazy numbers you see during the season, you know, even beyond that. So it's definitely a little bit of a catch 22. And I would understand why as a, entity the nca would want to discourage mm-hmm. that but but it does you know leave room for them to say that the net is not predicting the strength of teams as well as it could right yeah i do think at least it is a stronger metric in my opinion than the rpi was so um that's good at least yeah and it was pretty close i didn't i forget what the analysis was of how it compared and, and again i think that they like what would be bad is that they just plug in all the same Co, you know coefficients into the formula essentially um you really you know the game right. is different and you know you need to go through the whole basic process again um and you know value things differently right as an example uh off, there's more offensive rebounds in women's basketball and so you shouldn't treat the value of an offensive rebound the same uh for in the men's net and the right. women's net. that makes sense so yeah, it's going to be uh, exciting to see how that plays out. I will say it is getting a little bit late here, uh, especially for an old man like me. So we should probably wrap it up a little bit. But uh, before we do that, I wanted to ask you, since I was talking about uh, the Ocho earlier, uh, I would say that's definitely some of the craziest TV that I've seen in a while. I was wondering if there's any sort of odd television you like to watch or odd stuff you're watching uh, online, maybe via streaming or anything like that. I'm trying to think. I feel like the weirdest thing I've seen lately is I was watching I don't know, something on, I think, ESPN the other day, and there was an ad. I guess Steph Curry has like a television show now. Um, it's like oh, a yeah. mini golf competition, I think. I'm not really sure. I haven't actually watched it. I've just seen the ads for it, but I thought that was pretty wild. Like, yeah, they published that. They, they promoted that pretty hard during the NBA finals, I remember, but I did not. Okay. It did not entice me uh, anywhere near <laughs> yeah. as much as the Ocho did. My son thought the Ocho was just unbelievable. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, what I'll have to go check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It also had um, a uh, something we've talked about in our Slack that Jelly's Marble Run thing. Have you ever seen that? 
think so. Jonathan, Absolutely. I think, mentioned that when he uh, kind of introduced himself, how he's a big fan of it. I never heard of it. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. I'm clearly not up on the trending. Well, things. I would encourage you, um, you know, once we do all the post uh, processing, whatever on this, to, to check it out. Uh, so Jelly, apparently, I fr- he's from like norway or denmark or something like that and uh so his name is spelled j-e-l-l-e and uh, they showed an episode on espn but the guy has been uh, really it's jelly and he's it's his brother i think and they basically stage like a mock olympics all out of marbles and so they have these like you know the equivalent of like the hundred yard dash and the steeplechase and stuff like that and it's you know it's a little bit like i think stop action uh photography but it's absolutely hilarious and they you know totally uh you know do the announcing voices and stuff like that and it's it's definitely i can see why people are are watching it on youtube it's, it's one of those things that has an incredible number of uh views like millions and millions and millions <laughs> i found it really compa- strangely compelling when i was like what in the world is this and i started watching it yeah i'll have to check that out then it sounds very interesting very different yeah, it just kind of makes you, you know, the question I always ask when people are doing stuff like that, it's like, what idea did they reject when they chose that one? Like, what was their second choice that they weren't going to do Jelly's Marble Run, you know, or the Slippery Stairs? Yeah, interesting to think about. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I often, that, that's definitely something that crosses my mind when you hear random stuff. It's like, what's the other random stuff that went through that creator's mind? So, yeah, I don't really watch a lot of TV, right? It's just kind of sports and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I just figured, eh, you know, instead of watching, you know, again, there's not much basketball. The Pan Am games was on. I t- it said it was going to be on, I think, ESPNU or ESPN News, but they were showing uh, track and field, which was interesting. Oh, that's a question I have for you. The, uh, on the Ocho, the sign spinning competition it was actually pretty interesting how they're doing it, but it's a judged sport. They do all these kind of cool tricks. The signs are, it's like the people, um, clearly it's the people that were, you know, stand on street corners and stuff and have signs to go into like great clips or gas, the car wash or something like that. And you know what I'm talking about, how they wave the signs to get your attention. Yep. So these people are quite, I will say they are quite skilled. Um, interestingly, not a lot. I don't think I saw a single woman competitor on the 30 minute segment that we watched, uh, today. But um, the I am happy to report the Slippery Stairs was a co-ed event. They had a men's division, a women's division, and they had a co-ed division at the end with the same, with all the competitors in there. Um, but yeah, the sign-spinning people were interesting, but it's, it's judged. And so um, I will say I do prefer sports that have like a clear winner as opposed to, you know, a style thing, whether it's, you know, gymnastics or, uh, you know, diving or something like that. Like I definitely prefer swimming where you can see who won or you know the, the shop was on the pan am games today instead of uh you know they cut to the u.s team in the pan am basketball tournament and the women were up like 61 23 or something like that it's like oh okay i see why they're not showing that on tv unfortunately yeah no i would definitely agree with that sentiment never i'm watching gymnastics like it's fun to watch but i don't know i think it's just because i have literally zero talent in that like space but i'm just like everything they do looks amazing so i like cannot visually tell the difference between like a four and a ten it's like if they fall that's pretty much the only thing i can judge exactly like i appreciate i appreciate it right or like ice skating but uh but i definitely find it more compelling to watch like a, a speed skating race than uh than uh, figure skating just because yeah i just can't tell what that tenth of a point uh deduction is agreed agreed though i will watch simone biles any day let's she's on the tv <laughs> yeah yeah you know 
at the risk of being a little uh, un-PC, I will tell you one of the funniest things that I heard. It's interesting here you say that you're that you're a woman that's not super. I mean, do you watch the gymnastics like on the Olympics religiously, like uh, NBC thinks all women do? Um, so yeah, when gymnastics is on for the Olympics is pretty much when I watch it. So it's really just like, you know, once every four years, I watch that a bunch it? of gymnastics and then I don't watch it until the next Olympics. But that's must uh, see TV for you. Yeah. Yeah. See the, yeah, the gymnastics is not, again, I appreciate it, but it's kind of like, oh, let's show some more stuff. But yeah, no. So again, more pro slippery stairs. Looks like a fun event. Looks like it hurts though. Uh, sliding back down. I don't think my... I am all the competitors were like 20 and uh, I think they're a little more flexible than I am at this point, uh, bouncing down the stairs at the, in their latex suits with the um, whatever fluid, you know, I don't even know what they spray on it to make it uh, slip sliding away. But again, you can also check it out on YouTube as well. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you watch a lot of TV in general or not really? Um, not really. Well, that's a lie. Sometimes I'm like one of those people that like I watch sports and then I go through phases where I like binge watch shows and then like don't watch anything for a while. Mm. So sometimes, yeah, I'm yeah, definitely a binge watcher though. Interesting. Yeah, I find it really hard with like women's basketball on year round. Um, literally, basketball never stops, right? So mm-hmm. not a lot of time to uh, you know watch the traditional shows. But anyhow, yeah, I think we should call it a night here. I think we've uh, spent enough time rambling on non uh, basketball topics, but it's always good to uh, catch up with you and get together here on uh, Unplugged. I think we're calling it that. I had some random idea earlier today for a different name, but now I can't think of it. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I know what I was thinking of. I think, you know, as you know, most people uh, at their uh, as they're signing off, sort of um, you know ask people to rate the podcast, give it five stars, right? Because it mm-hmm. uh, you know helps spread the word, uh, show you know shows your podcast show up a little higher on the rankings. So I meant to look it up. Maybe I'll do that while you're closing. But I don't know that there is a podcast named the Five Star Podcast. <laughs> it's like not a bad name for a basketball podcast right because of the five-star recruiting rankings this is true yeah if we talked some more about recruiting it would be the perfect name <laughs> <laughs> exactly so maybe i'll try and look that up really quick here uh as uh you wrap it up for us yeah sounds good so yeah that's all we have for tonight as aaron was just saying make sure that if you like what you heard you go on wherever you're listening to your podcast and rate us five stars leave us reviews anything you can do to help more people find us and to grow our rankings um also we love to hear from you so if you have any ideas any feedback um, anything you would like to hear us talk about on another episode of the podcast you can email us at her hoop stats or sorry, the podcast at herhoopstats.com. And then you can also find us on Twitter at herhoopstats and comment, DM us, whatever you want to do to let us know what you'd like to hear. Uh, Other than that, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you've been enjoying everything we've put out this week. Um, We also had an interview with John Little on the Monday podcast with Cheryl Reeve. So we hope you enjoyed that as well as the play-by-play that we talked about briefly earlier that John released. And we're looking forward to having more big name guests as well as more of our Unplugged podcasts in the future. So we hope you rate us, like us, subscribe, and follow along in the future. Thanks again for listening. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon, Megan. Sounds good. Bye, Aaron. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.